0: There's Brandon,
1: welcome to Old Space Show. I'm Brandon, and this is my brand new companion, Russell McGee. Hello. Hello. Uh,
2: Here, everybody. Or, well. Yes,
1: you'll hear us. Ha ha ha. Ha Oh, so this series of Old Space Show follows the simian-tastic adventures of Galen and his two astronaut pals as they wade their way through the futuristic Earth in the short-lived television version of Planet of the Apes. Welcome to Old Space Show, Russell. You have been on long ago, and normally you and I have talked to Doctor Who stuff or classic horror stuff, but we're both apes fans in here. Um yeah. For people who don't know, we're just because I have people that listen to Old Space Show and nothing else. I don't know why. I don't know why. But thanks for any That's listen. That's okay. Uh, Roger, you work at the network down at IU in Bloomington. And also, you are an audio engineer, Big Finish. We love stories. I am. Um,
2: I, I do the sound designs on the Gallifrey Time War series and getting ready to do uh, Gallifrey War Room, which was just finally announced. So I can talk about that now. There
1: you go. Yes. So, yeah, yeah,
2: I've, I've been working with them for eight years now. And, I, dude, I think it's, I've lost count. I, it's definitely over 16 stories with just the time war alone. So, so just a few Doctor Who things.
1: A few Doctor Who things, a few yeah. private hellos from classic Doctor Who cast members. And you're recording oh. sometimes.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, and what Brandon's alluding to there is uh, Nick Briggs has even, like, as the dialect gone over and said, hello Russell and in the dialect voice which kind of freaked me out at the time when that happened so but it's fantastic too to have those little <laughs> moments
1: yep and, and your work is fantastic on it and everything else too I've heard you even like your pro- other productions you, you do a lot of with audio drama just beyond the doctor who you do stuff um at university and just all over like your your like I always say your Frankenstein is fantastic i Thoroughly enjoyed that. You've also done like Thank you. uh live productions like Edward the Musical. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So.
2: And what now year before last, we also released the Ernie Pile Experiment for oh, WFIU, yeah. mm-hmm. which was a 13-episode uh full drama series that we produced there. And that ended up getting a Audi nomination, um, which is the Oscar equivalent in the audio world. Um, and so that was huge. And, you know, first time out of the gate submitting there and, and we got a nomination, which was really cool.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate uh, you coming here for Planet of the Apes, which you strongly lent your hand here uh, because this one was... This is the first time we're doing an old space show that was by request of a listener. So... Um, <laughs> Someone shout out, and Russell's like, You do Planet of the Apes, I am coming on for that. And I was like, Well, totally for there for it, sweet because yes. that makes my life easier. And I'm glad to have Russell back here on the show, especially for 14 episodes straight. So it's pretty, pretty awesome to have. Uh, so Planet of the Apes, I am a huge Planet of the Apes fan, I have been since I was a kid. Strong franchise for me, it was, uh, I always remember what happened. Was uh, it was like a New Year's Eve or something, and my mom and dad used to take us to rent movies, mm-hmm. and for my my sister just stay in the basement watch them till midnight or whatever, and they maybe had friends over or did something else, and one year she took us to the grocery store. It was called Scotts, and they didn't have the best selection or whatever. And I'm looking, I'm struggling, and my mom just grabbed The Apes. was like here, watch this. <laughs> sure that. You guys will you like Star Wars, you'll like, you know, that and I was like, Oh, uh, okay, sure. And lo and behold, the movie was awesome. Mom had a great recommendation and I found out she was really big. Like she grew up in you know, the seventies were her teen years, so like the apes were like uh, the one of the few like the franchises. Like you yeah. had James Bond, Hammer and like Planet of the Apes. Like that was that was I mean, it wasn't like today. Um but those were an ongoing thing, uh, and I found luckily shortly after that. I think like, or I don't know. I found later. I found the sequels through the Sci Fi Channel would run, and it was great because they would have Roddy McDowell host it. Oh, that's that's amazing. You know, like he'd be like, "Oh, Planet of the Apes on the Sci Fi," because they would have they would have cool hosts. They like Rob Zombie would host host their October horrors months. So Roddy McDowell hosted Planet of the Apes. And so I've, I've taped them all off there. So I had the whole series on taped VHS. And the TV show aired on Sci-Fi Channel as well. And that's where I first watched it. I didn't caught up again with it in college. And then not till now have I revisited it again.
2: I was so, going to say, like, I actually, I didn't get to see it on its initial airing. But I did see it in reruns in the mm-hmm. 80s. And that was one of those moments for me. Uh, where my dad actually kind of like with your mom would expose Mm -hmm. me to different uh, sci-fi and horror things. And the big thing for us was Friday nights. We would watch Sammy Terry. So, yeah. So for the Indiana listeners that, that, you know, is our local horror host and he's still ongoing now, but um, my dad and I would stay up late. And one of the shows that they were doing in reruns was the Planet of the apes TV series. And I had seen the films by that point, but like, that was a special moment that we shared and actually just staying up late and him letting me be up past my bedtime to right. watch the apes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, and these are just, I don't know. It's crazy how well that these, I I'm going to have to, this is a, the watching the show for this is going to be a rediscovery for me as well as I, much as I tout being this ape fan, that this the TV shows a weak point of mine. Um, in terms of memory or revisiting a lot. Uh, but it's it's amazing for me how well the original films have held up over time. Like, such good, strong writing. Yes, some people... There may, may be some goofy factor here, but there's a really good... Th- like, I'll even go to bat for a lot of battle for the Planet of the Apes. I think the problem with that's a budget more than it is right. the story or anything going wrong. But um, I've really... Like, I remember... The original blew my mind, like they all like just kept going. Like, even like through conquest, that one was like, what in that the ending of that yeah. movie was like, What? That was like my favorite apes film for the longest time. Cause I was like, Holy crap.
2: We would not have the Caesar series that we do nope. now today without those films, too. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. like and they kept reinventing themselves as the series went on. Yeah. And it- they did a really good job with continuity as well, like oh, across the board. I mean, right. yes, like you said, there's some goofy things, but they did keep it consistent.
1: Yeah, and I I'd, I'd say like the only time they whiffed at bat truly was the Tim Burton one. And you yeah. can't say that one wasn't without trying. Like it was an expensive film and it looks expensive. Just didn't uh, quite do it. The art
2: direction's amazing, but yeah, no.
1: But that is one of the few and friend of the show, Scott Mendelson. I'll tell you, it's one of the few times a studio actually counted, like, called it at the table, took their chips and ran home and didn't make a sequel to it. Like, that movie <laughs> made a lot of money, but they knew people probably weren't going to show up again. And they, they wouldn't do that nowadays. They'd be like, well, money, push it out there, don't care, don't listen, whatever. But that movie actually made some money, it Was big. it wasn't a huge hit, but they were like, you know, cast your chips in, we're going home. It's a rarity that that happened, but... And uh, I know
2: we actually haven't... I haven't asked you about this, and I know we're, we're obviously talking about the TV show, mm-hmm. but did you know there was a cartoon as well?
1: Yes, The Return of the Planet okay. of the Apes. Yeah, cartoon. yeah, yeah. Yep. Have you watched any of those? I have watched those. It's okay, a, okay.
2: Big, those, yeah. those are a little bit more of a slog to get
1: through. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's in the vein of... Like, if you can make it through the Star Trek animated season... So yeah. Those you can make it through the Planet of the Apes one, but beware, be warned, it's up that alley. But that's what cartoons were a lot of times back then. So yeah, um, yeah, there's that that cartoon series. Um, I haven't I haven't revisited that one in a while. I do remember discovering it. I think I, I think I had it. Uh, I got it like Amoeba when I lived in L.A. or whatever. But um, that's a that's an interesting oddity as well. But Apes has always been a property that. Has interest that always they don't overexpose us to it. It comes and goes, but when it comes, it's a big deal. And I do remember somewhere in the nineties, like Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to be doing a Planet of the Apes movie, but did not hear about that. Yeah, one. he had been pushing that for a long time, and then it became a Tim Burton thing. But ah. um, but yeah, it's, he's he's uh, yeah. done that. But um, this this uh TV show we have here, uh. It comes like the year after Battle for the Planet of the Apes, right? I think it was 73 and this was 74.
2: Yeah, I'm looking because I don't remember right off as well. I know that they say that it's 10 years after the events of the film in the actual episode, so that might help. Gotcha. um, I do not see right off. 74, 74. So 68 and then 74.
1: Okay. Yeah, because they... um, what happened, like, they they were planning on doing this show or something, and then they ran the first three movies as, like, on TV again to see what the interest was, and they rated really high um, right. Planet uh, Beneath and Escape. And so they're like, okay, we could do this TV show thing. And they Roddy McDowell comes back for it, which... Right, right. Hey, king of the series, because, wow, you'd think he, you know... Now,
2: and like also from a practical standpoint, and we didn't touch on this, but like just early on, um, they almost closed down part of Hollywood because of like pulling all the makeup effects people in Mm -hmm. to be able to do this with the first film and then streamlining things. And I think because I just watched a promo for the TV show, they Mm -hmm. said that it still would take them 40 hours per person to be able to do the makeup effects on them, to like do a cast and then be able to, you know, mm-hmm. get it to the point where they would be ready to actually be on TV. So once they have that mold made,
1: gotcha. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, in terms of the apes and effects for this series, it's more akin to beneath or not beneath um, battle than it is the rest of the series where. Right. You know, there's time. There's not as much money. It's people in masks. So that's right. um, but there are some. Some of them they get pretty good. Some of them are uh, just shaking. That's the, that's I'm talking. I guess. But you know, I've always loved the look and design. I don't care how they, it's still impressive to me. It's still magical to me to watch these, even the cheapest ones. I don't know why. Probably a bit of nostalgia. But I think. I, I like that look of these apes.
2: No, and like even as you're talking about the detail. Like I was looking at that as I was revisiting these and Galen, which is Roddy McDowell's mm-hmm. character here, even the gloves that he had, like mm-hmm. the detail on the hands, the fingernails and everything else, like because you have some close ups, and I'm like, right, okay, that that still stands up pretty yeah. well.
1: Yeah. And they, they uh, I will say before, you know, not getting into the episode so far, but they don't heavily rely on using stock footage from the films, which is nice. No. They could have, which some other shows based off movies have heavily done that in the past. Um, this this series, though, uh, one of the funny thing is uh, it beat out another science fiction icon's uh, attempt at a show for this fall 1974 season, uh, Gene Roddenberry had a high-profile Genesis Mm. 2 was his high-profile thing during a pilot season. And CBS is like, we're only taking one sci-fi show and this is it, which uh, Genesis 2, he had two shots at Genesis 2. He'd come back with another shot later and they both end up being TV movies down the road. I can't remember if the first one had John Saxon... No, the second one had John Saxon. It was I was going to say, I knew they changed the lead
2: actor yeah. in between the two TV movies, but yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, but that's an interesting little oddity about a man who gets frozen and wakes up in the future or whatever. It's a, They both play like pilots, so they're not really interesting enough as movies. They don't feel conclusive by the ends, but um, yeah, he would get another shot. Like Genesis 2 was a like a pet project for him. Yeah. Um, and Russell, you know about this um, with Apes in particular in production. Uh, Rod Serling wrote the first two episodes originally. They didn't right. go with them. But do you want right. to give us some details about his early attempts?
2: Yeah. And um, and we were talking about this even a little bit before we started recording. Uh, there's even elements going back to his very first film script. And the reason I'm going back to that is mm-hmm. he... He actually took the TV episodes they wrote and had them where they directly followed on what he wrote in his original film adaptation, which isn't what we ended up seeing on a screen. Um, and I, I bring that up because there's the whole thing as far as how the ape city was more like in line with a modern New York city and seeing apes in suits and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a comic adaptation that they did recently one apes visionaries where they did adapt his original script
1: and i love when got, they do that stuff yeah
2: <laughs> so we got to see what he was intending originally mm-hmm. and um but then getting to the actual like tv episodes um he it's it's interesting because the first one is still like we get three retellings of like how like we have an astronaut coming from the past into the future and making that discovery that they're in the world of the apes. The thing that he did differently in his script that didn't end up on screen with the TV show Mm -hmm. is he echoed what he did with the original film and had it where Taylor um, was shot by the apes in the film. Well, in in the TV script that he wrote, uh, Galen, which is the Roddy McDowell uh, ape, ends up getting shot by the two lead characters and then brought into the spaceship and then they don't know that he is actually intelligent and so there's this whole thing like it's a flip on what he did with the original script to the point as they go off exploring for a little bit they let him go and he doesn't leave and he rips off the bandage and same thing that taylor did he he writes in blood on the spaceship i can speak and it's washed off in with rain and that's that's part of like his original script that oh cool. Yeah. I like
1: that.
2: Yeah. So like he did like play in reversal as far as what he he had written with the original script. And I I wish we could at some point get to see that in some form, whether that's a comic book or audio play. I would love to see that realized.
1: Interesting. Yeah. No. There's all avenues for those sorts. Of, there's so many oddities. I'm like, could someone make a little animated film of that with stuff, <laughs> stuff from all sorts of like Star Wars things like that. Like, like, give me an uh, Timothy Zahn heir to the Empire animated. Oh, piece. dude. Yeah. No, that? that would be amazing. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Call it Legacy or Else Worlds or whatever. I just, <laughs> I'd like to see it realized, or or try to weave it in with modern continuity. You could do it. Make it animated so maybe it does, maybe it doesn't count. Who cares? Um, Just it'd be interesting to see that pulled off. But uh, stuff like this would be great, too. There's other, like, you know, Hodorowski's Dune would be great to see animated. Oh, uh, yeah. Superman Lives, like, do these things. (laughs) You have my dollars.
2: Yes, they they would keep taking them.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, but without further ado, let's get into this. Let's uh let's discuss this first episode Escape Great. from Tomorrow.
2: Two astronauts survive a crash landing on a planet where intelligent apes rule over humans. The men find that their own intelligence challenges the apes' superiority and puts their lives in danger.
1: All right, this one is directed by Don Weiss, written by Art Wallace. Joe Ruby and Howard Dimsdale will serve as story consultants on this series. It stars Roddy McDowell, Ron Harper, James Naughton, Royal Dano, Mark Leonard, Spock's dad, uh, Woodrow Parfait, and Booth Coleman. So I want to get to like director Don Weiss. I like to run down who's in these things because a lot of these old space shows are old and some of these actors aren't prominent anymore. They may have been back then or they there's connections you can make throughout this seeing things. But uh, Don Weiss, he started career in film in the early 1950s, moved on to TV where he'd spend most of his career. um, He did Casablanca, the TV show, Uh, and like listen to his name, Jane Wyman presents um, Fireside Theater. Uh, he did the Thin Man television show, Andy Griffith show, Alfred Hitchcock presents. He did the episode Steel for the Twilight Zone in 1963.
2: Patty- oh, Richard Matheson.
1: Mm-hmm. Did uh, Patty Duke, Batman, uh, the Virginian, Happy Days, Ironside, Kolchak, SWAT, Matt Helm, Beretta, Starskin, Hutch, Mash, Y Five O, Chips, T J Hooker, Fantasy Island. Love Boat, Remington Steel. Listen to this. This is I just love it. I'm like MacGyver, Hill Street Blues, <laughs> Simon Simon. One of his final credits, Russell, Freddy's Nightmares.
2: Ah, uh, oh, that, that's a talk about TV show. I'd love to see actually uh, officially released. Someday. Oh yeah,
1: it's getting. I, I hear it's getting close. They have it's it's uh, on a streaming service now. So <laughs> that's the next step. Which, is which someone streaming to be like service it's one of the, it's a newer horror one. That was like their big thing was we have Freddy's nightmares. I can't remember. That's it's, amazing. Shudder has competition now. So, um, okay. <laughs> that's what, that's what I realized. I'm like, Oh, and they got Freddy's nightmares. And I know there's a bootleg site that has legally been selling it. So something's got to be getting close to figuring it out there. Um, Wallace. Um, we know Roddy McDowell. We don't need to go over Roddy here. Everybody coming to this knows that, but, uh, Wallace who Art Wallace who wrote this, uh, he does two episodes of this show, two episodes of Star Trek, uh Assignment Earth and Obsession, uh, the Bill Cosby show Bill Cosby show, and one he here's the thing. He's one of the creators with Dan Curtis of Dark Shadows and wrote 65 episodes of that show. Oh. Pretty crazy. So they got some big guns here going Thank at you. that. Like Dark Shadows is humongous. Like, tell the kids, you don't realize dark shadows was it like that was a big deal um so and and for television too so you got a guy who created dark shadows coming over to Planet of the apes it's a big dark shadows is still running in popularity at this time probably i think
2: can't remember but i think so i think you're right
1: because it ran to... 68 to like the mid 70s so art wall is probably a hot name here um But I was like, I was like looking, I was like, Dark Shadows. Oh, he half created it. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Like Dan Curtis had the idea and he was brought in and those two fleshed it out. Um, Dimsdale, who's a story consultant, same same position. He held that on uh, Million Dollar Man, Amazing Spider-Man. And he wrote National Velvet and uh, Abbott and Costello meet Captain Kidd and Abbott and Costello meet Jacqueline Hyde. Um, also, writing Zangaray Theater, My Three Sons, The Fugitive, Bonanza, The FBI, Gunsmoke, Quincy M.E., M- and then he takes a break and comes back in the late 80s and writes for Superboy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Superboy. <laughs> yes. The other story, consultant, Ruby, he is the co creator of Scooby Doo. So. That? Okay. Yeah, there, there,
2: there's some credibility there too.
1: Yeah, uh, and he's an he was a, he was a big Hanna Barbera guy, editing uh, Flintstones, Yogi Bear, Jetsons. Uh, he also uh, did story supervision on Josie and the Pussycats and wrote mm-hmm. for Space Ghost. So, but dude made Scooby Doo. Like <laughs> this is talent. This is like I mean this show got canned after 14, but they were. It wasn't like they weren't trying here. Um. Our stars, uh, Harper. He had a career in television, um, doing stuff like Land of the Lost, Remy to Steal, Nine O Two Melrose Place, Boy Meets World, uh, Two Guys and a Girl in a Pizza Place, West Wing. He was in Michael Bay's uh, Pearl Harbor, and there's a cult classic movie called The Poughkeepsie Tape. He's in. He stars in. Uh, Naughton. Uh, early. This is early in his career, uh, but he did episodes of Fall Guy. He'd be in Allie McBeal, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, Damages, Gossip Girl, Blacklist. Uh, he was on the Sex in the City, new Sex in the City show, uh, and just like that. Did The Birds 2. He was the star of that. First Wives Club, Devil Rose Prada. Got a g- pretty good career. Uh, I just also working.
2: saw that he was in uh, Thriller with Boris Karloff as well. It's yeah, the host. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty big career. Um, Coleman here, lots of TV. Uh, geek stuff like Star Trek Voyager, Galactica, nineteen eighty, Gilligan's Island, Mission Impossible, uh, My Three Sons. There's a lot of shows I'm noticing coming up between the two. We record these in blocks, as I've always noticed, but between the two episodes we're talking about here in a row, there's a lot of show semblance uh, that comes with these. Uh, but he was in the Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. <laughs> uh, but this is the. Um, this is actually. While it's the first episode, it's the third episode filmed in the first production block, um, premiering on September thirteenth, nineteen seventy four. I always find it fascinating when they do these like leadoff episodes, like down the line. Like I get, it's weird. Like shouldn't we warm up through this first episode? But I guess the idea is, I want you to look like you've been in character. Yep. In the first episode, so yep. yep, yep. They always yeah, leave from- it yeah
2: from production side of things yeah i agree with you that i think it's a matter of allowing the actors to be able to warm up to the characters and like really get a handle on what they're doing so Mm -hmm. that by the time we're having that introduction it's it's like the whole thing as far as with with actors even in theater within that first 10 minutes like if the audience doesn't connect with them you completely lose them, my friend. So mm-hmm. like I I, com- I completely understand the logic from a producing standpoint of why they would do that.
1: Right. exactly. Um, yeah, it just makes it. They did that with what Davison for Doctor. Who for his, yep, his first his early run. They shot later episodes before Castrovalva. Um, this this episode is our introduction. We have astronauts crash landing on what they'll find out is Earth in the future. Uh, but it's not, like, I'll give it, this wasn't the same. This didn't no. feel This didn't feel like Charlton Heston again. It didn't feel like uh, James Franciscus again. Like, this had its own thing. Uh, it has its own aesthetic, because in the original Planet of the Apes, all pets and stuff were dead or whatnot, but we have animals here because that's the There's thing that's going to happen
2: with a dog
1: yes in, in the
2: opening scene um right
1: yeah the child ape.
2: and i i yeah brandon you're you're 100 dead on like they within the first what five ten minutes they set mm-hmm. it up so that the astronauts learn from a book this time that mm-hmm. this is earth And, like, that's a complete departure from any other version we've seen as far as the astronauts landing because that allows them to be able to dive in and really start playing in the world and, like, get into the meat and potatoes. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, these guys, they are hopeful. They collect a piece of their ship before everything, like happens there's a lot of captivity in this episode um yeah. th- they first uh, are picked up by an elder of the uh, uh, elder human of the planet who does informs them of things and does not uh, i really I, I have to give the props to the writing that, that they really handle uh the communication and this elder man very well where it could have been overlooked but he's like they're saying terms to him he's like i don't know what that means I don't, right? And people are like, I don't, I don't understand you where they could have shortcut and be like, Oh yeah, blah you know, they could have shortcut things, but they play it accurate and for, you know, cause for the time for the seventies, I just put it on TV, you know, like they wasn't there, there was a care, but there wasn't with things like some of the, like, just let it go. Things got through. Um, but I really like their conversations with him and how that plays and how it plays with some of the apes as well, especially Galen. Galen's got a really good arc in this episode. Like, I really like what they did with him. He's very much a Zira Cornelius hybrid, but in his own way still. And you get to see him learn, change, grow. And you buy that he goes on this journey and leaves. He makes people. his
2: own decisions through the course of this opening script. Mm-hmm. And that was something I meant to say earlier. And we talked about before he started is Galen and. Alan, our character names that actually Rod Serling did write in his original script. So, like, they did borrow still elements going into the original, like, first episode that we have here that mm-hmm. came from Rod Serling.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and he, I like he. He doesn't believe. He believes. He questions, mm-hmm. and uh, he ends up. I mean, he ends up killing one of his own to protect because it's not in the name of like defending the humans, but defending what's right in the ape world. Like he doesn't doesn't feel like what's happened. but in the same, his eyes are being open to you know things being done to cover up truths or not allow for speculation or to learn. And he's always there to learn. He's always there to build. And he's when he sees the potential of that being taken away, that's where he wants to seek out whatever these humans are trying to find and learn more about his own world and where he came from, as well as them trying to figure it out as well.
2: And and him learning that there is more to human beings than he has been taught. And he's mm-hmm. like, he talks about that several times as far as the fact that he only has known one way and has mm-hmm. been taught one way. And so that they challenge his ideas and conceptions and forces him to think outside of the box.
1: Right. Right. And he, they do bring up the point. Like, what do you do with apes there? Like, you put them in cages, and they're like, "Yeah, we do." <laughs> like they, <laughs> they have the realization as well. Uh, you know, they, I don't think the the human guys are as compelling as Galen at all. Um, no. They, they're just kind of stand-ins. Almost, you could almost get away with just one of them, but I guess it's cheaper to have two human guys, and um, they can bounce off each other to talk human stuff.
2: You know, I wondered about that as to why they departed from that um, formula with what they did with the the, the film series, and I'm, I'm I half wonder if that might have been a way for the audience to connect into the world, so that you could do kind of like with the Doctor Companion mm-hmm. thing of asking right. questions.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they might need them to bounce off each other because, like, the scene with the old man probably goes faster with two human guys that know what's going on. Right. And- than just the one guy, so there, there's that potential as well. Um, but yeah, they they have a part of their ship that has potential to, if they can find this hopeful other group of people, maybe something can happen. That's our series. Nexus is the journey to find that because they blow up the ship because well, we Itch. don't want to use we don't want to use that prop. <laughs> <laughs> we don't wanna, we don't have to bring that thing lug that around uh, for many episodes. But yeah, apes too covering stuff up. They do it like. Um, they have the gorilla, and the gorillas are always aggressive with things. But Doctor Zayas, or just Zayas in this, um, seems less of a monster in this and more right. reasonable. Um, it it does take a while to get them. He does have a uh, yeah, in the original Play of the Apes, they have that famous scene with the like, hear no evil, see no evil, say no evil. Uh, visually, but he has it within lines of dialogue with Galen almost because um, Galen's asking him, he's avoiding, he's like, I never heard the question. He's like, I asked you a question. He goes, I never heard the question. And I'm like, that's that yeah. in, in dialogue right there. But he's not as, yeah, he's not as ruthless so far uh, in this one as he's, uh was in the movies, as this is not the same. Zayas, obviously, but...
2: No, the classes are divided a little bit more as far as the chimpanzees, orangutans, and the gorillas. So mm-hmm. we we get to see that evolve a little bit more past what we have seen in the film series. Right.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, they Galen. Yeah, he's he's his understudy, which don't know that that would have been in the movies because they would have had just an orangutan understudy and orangutan. Um. But he's here, but Galen's very, you know, he has Dr. Zayas, but aside from that, he's very much alone, and I don't know if that's just a lack of having cast or something like that, but it's just different dynamic than coming home to Zira or having, like, Ricardo Maltoban as his sidekick, uh, as right. we've seen with McDowell in the past. He's very much, even when he's with the two humans, he kind of feels alone, <laughs> like an outsider for sure even among the apes and among the humans he feels a sole entity which is an interesting thing to make him not like what he's played before
2: that and i don't want to jump ahead but that does offer some opportunities and we see that in the second episode a little bit where mm-hmm. he's able to talk to other apes in a way that he hasn't like when he was in the film series
1: mm-hmm. yeah definitely um i do have a i have a random note that uh oh Ape, this is good. Ape with an eye patch is pretty rad. That's something we didn't see in the movies. <laughs> I, we, I don't think we saw that in the movies. And I was like, "That's a new ape. That's kind of, that's pretty cool." That's pretty. There wasn't much to the character other than he was a, a tattletale of what's going on in the village, tell what's going on. But right, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, this is a overall. It's, it's an all right. Episode. It's very much uh, setting the stage. Thing and trying to fill an hour with it when it's probably probably a good thirty minutes episode in here, but it's stretched to the fifty.
2: They're trying to do a good job of for anybody who's not seen the Planet of the Apes before, reintroducing the ideas of the world so that like everything that we've already learned from how Taylor came in Mm -hmm. or the other astronauts, it's all encapsulated in this hour.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's I mean there's a lot of back and forth of capturing like oh we're stuck here yeah. now we're stuck here we'll go to the ship now we'll go back later we'll go to the ship there's a lot of use of minimal sets uh, which will happen and just yeah like I said a lot of a lot of s- stage setting and it's to be expected which is fine um but there, there's there's some good stuff to go in here and uh, a good like where's this gonna go type thing uh, for the end of it but do you have any more on it Russell
2: no the only and you you mentioned something the only thing that i remember is as far as a stock shot that we got from mm-hmm. the films was a shot of the ape city because they i don't, I don't want, know why they didn't actually just reuse that set when they were using somewhat many other sets from the films
1: right right yeah but maybe it's, because the
2: extras i don't know
1: that's yeah uh, that's true um yeah, they were doing, they were filming this in some sort of state park from what I, my research showed me. That's what they were interesting going, to, going for. Um, there's a couple, yeah, just a few stock shots, but, and I know some of the Planet of the Apes sets still exist. Like, there, you could visit, they're ah. run down today, but like, they were just left the sets and they walked off. Like, so I think the ape village is, was still sort of there. Um, I forget who it was. I think like, Somebody during one of the newer movies, they they did a, like a featurette or something, walk into the where the old sets were, and that's cool. There was stuff still there, um, because this is back before you know, <laughs> recycling, uh, tearing <laughs> things down. We just left our trash wherever. Yeah, we're in the desert. We're out. in the Who cares? No one's gonna find this. Um, I have one question, and I'm gonna document this through, um, because it just piqued my curiosity, and I, I realized it was there either was there any women in this episode and if there was did any speak
2: I again I think we had like just extras in the background because, I, saw, like, I yeah when, whenever they saw like the group of humans I think mm-hmm. we had some there but yeah
1: I was like it's a dude heavy show uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like wow okay because one of the strongest characters in the entire series was Zera and Yeah, no, no women here yet. We'll find one. Not even Nova. (laughs) No, not even Nova. So, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see. I was just an interesting thing I I noticed. I was like, I don't think there's any women here because I you know like to research who's in these, who's doing what, and there's nothing. So okay. Uh, well, now it's time for us to take our stinking paws off this damn dirty episode, Russell. Thank you as always for. Coming on here, uh, talking Apes. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. And so next time, where can people keep up with you?
2: Uh, They can find me with uh, WTIU.org or Indiana Public Media um, and then Big Finish uh, Productions. And if you actually just do a, a search with their search engines for my name, you'll be able to see all the productions that I've done with Big Finish there.
1: All right. Hashtag go Ape. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram at brand 4 khd written work at whysoblue.com. There's more from the Brandon Peters Show this week, but from old space...
0: It's a madhouse! Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters